Turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. As we continue our series uh, from the Mission Conference. Here, Commitment Sunday. Today we come to both the sacrament and the word together. And this is the word of God. One occasion while the crowd was pressing in and him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting to one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners near the boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch, be catching men. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that we can come before you. We thank you that we have the sacrament. We thank you that we have your word. So, Father, we're asking this morning for your Holy Spirit to speak to us from both. Father, to strengthen us. Father, to challenge us. To, indeed, not only we see the glory, but, Father, the nations see the glory. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. King Uzziah, who had reigned for 52 years, is dead. The only king Isaiah has ever known, he was, for the most part, a good king. It was a time of great material prosperity and of national peace. But Uzziah committed a grievous sin late in his life by offering incense in the temple, an act only priests could do. And God struck him with leprosy, which took his life over a slow-suffering eight-year period in which he had to live away from the palace. In his stead, his 16-year-old son, Jotham, began to reign as co-ring with him, a king with him, depending strongly on his advisors until his father's death when he was 24. But that sort of co-kingship never makes for a, a nation stronger, despite the fact that Jotham in the end turned out to be a, a good king. So by the time Uzziah died, things were going down uh, hill, spiritually speaking. They were going through the motions of worship without any heart. And society was breaking down as God compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. The nation's in a battle against sin. Isaiah 1.4 summarizes it. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who do corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That is mid-century modern life in 8th century Judah. 
And those verses could easily describe our nation today, uh, where we've lost any sense of morality or truth. Sin and rebellion against God and pretending that He does not exist or commonplace in our nation, which lost, has lost its moral compass and also its path to forgiveness. With Uzziah's death, with sin rampant, with chaos and calloused hearts surrounding him, Isaiah goes up to the temple to worship to try to make some sense of the broken world around him. And that's where he receives this vision of God. And Uzziah is no longer seated on the throne, but God is. Kings may die, and the world may seem to us a sinful mess with a global pandemic raging. But God's alive, and he's seated on the throne, and he's ruling the universe. While Isaiah does not describe God, he draws a, a picture of the majesty of God in terms we could understand, which is God's grace towards us. Around the throne of these seraphim, they do his bidding and they constantly worship him. They're intentionally singing to one another, holy, holy, holy. Keep in mind, Hebrew doesn't have words for more or most. So they have to repeat their words for emphasis. Love how one Bible translation puts this as more holy than the holiest holiness. That's a whole lot of holiness. All right. And notice the rest of their song. The whole earth is full of his glory. This brings the missionary task before us front and center. Already the earth is full of his glory. Already we see the glory. But not yet do the peoples of the earth see the glory or know it. As Psalm 72 ends, the psalmist explodes with hope. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. That's his prayer. That's our prayer. Now, according to John 12, 41, Jesus is who Isaiah sees in his vision here. Jesus is the one who makes the invisible God visible for us so we can understand. What an overwhelming revelation of Jesus' glory Isaiah catches just a glimpse of here. You know, it's not at all what Isaiah anticipated. We went up to the temple to worship that day. And maybe that's true of us. Maybe we came here today without any expectation that we would see the glory of Jesus. Maybe we came out of habit or out of ritual. Maybe we came to see friends. Maybe he came because we were made to. And we've lost sight of who God really is. But now in this passage, seeing Jesus in all his glory leads Isaiah to repentance. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. You know, John Calvin said, we cannot get a proper view of ourselves till we have a proper view of God. And so Isaiah now sees himself as he really is. He's a sinner. He's a rebel against God. Uh, perhaps before this, he was great on the curve. You know, he was looking at others. He thought, you know, I'm not so bad. Uh, but now... Now he sees the blazing holiness of Jesus, 
the holy, holy, holy God, the one more holy than the holiest holiness. And it causes us to say, I am lost. The old King James word undone is really a far better translation than lost. The word means to come apart, or as R.C. Sproul famously said, it means to, to be disintegrated. The illustration you've heard me always use is, is when you know, the wicked witch of the West catches on fire. And a very well-intentioned Dorothy throws water on her. Uh, and she just begins to, to melt down and dissolve on, away on the spot. Well, that's what happens to Isaiah here. Seeing himself as he really is, he disintegrates into nothing. And he makes a confession. For I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah sees himself as unfit for God's presence and for God's use. See, seeing the glory of Jesus means we will see our sinfulness more clearly. Now that's what happened to Peter. Peter's been listening to Jesus around Capernaum. Jesus has been to Peter's home. Peter's seen him heal people. He, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's cast out demons. Peter believes he just may be Messiah. Verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Oh, friends, this is a preacher's dream verse, okay? People pressing in to hear the word of God, so that you've got to back up. All right, In a world of turmoil and hopelessness, people need to hear the good news of the kingdom. Verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now we saw in verse 2 that when Jesus showed up, they were washing their nets. They'd been fishing all night and they were getting ready to go home. They were tired. They were worn out. And now Jesus is taught and uh, perhaps it's, it's pushing midday. And Peter and, and company, they're exhausted. They're fatigued. They need some rest. They need some sleep. They're ready to go home. So what do they do with this instruction from Jesus to go back out and fish some more? Well, let's understand the situation. Peter's been a fisherman all his life, right here on Capernaum, right on the, the Sea of Galilee. Other than Jesus has been a carpenter up in Nazareth, up in, up in the hill country. Now, who's going to know more about fishing? I mean, I wouldn't tell any of you here how to get your hens to lay more eggs or your chickens to grow a little, little meatier. Um, and, and plus, Jesus' advice is against all human expectations. Peter knows successful fishing takes place at night. And it takes place in shallow water. Right? Not in the day in deep water. And I suspect as a fisherman, every bone in his body wanted to, to call out, No! But this is Jesus. And Peter's growing in his faith. 
his trust. And it compels Peter to say yes. But at your word, I will let down the nets. He does what Jesus asks. And a most remarkable thing happens. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Peter and his co-workers have the biggest catch of their entire lives. So watch. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We see here the glory of Christ and the hideousness of our sin. I started to consider this as two points, but the more I looked at it, the more I saw this is really one point. It's just two sides of the same coin. When we consider the glory of Jesus, we should be astounded. astounded. And that glory, which includes His holiness, should make us realize how hideous our sin really is. Jesus has entered into Peter's world. Peter's watched the healings in amazement. He's seen the authority of Jesus over the demons. But now he sees Jesus knows where all the fish are. He is in the presence of one who rules all the fish of the sea. Here's the one who knows the location of every uh, fire anthill in the world. All right? He knows the number of ants in each of those hills. Peter's already overwhelmed by Jesus' compassion and authority. Now he's overwhelmed by his knowledge and power. See, what Peter sees is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And seeing that glory, he also sees like never before how hideous his sin is. You know, we go about our lives and, and we stay busy and we pray and we admit we're sinners every day. Uh, but if you're like me, there are those moments when the Holy Spirit through the Word helps us grasp in a, a fresh way as we encounter Jesus, just, just an inkling of how hideous our sin really is in the sight of the holy God of glory. God's far holier than you and I can, can imagine. We cannot grasp how holy and pure He is. Our sinful, limited minds cannot conceive of such glory and perfection. And we're far more sinful than we can imagine. I mean, if we really grasp how utterly sinful we are, uh, we would undoubtedly be driven to despair. Because like Isaiah, we're sort of prone to grade ourselves on a curve. We compare ourselves to the world and we think, ah, not so bad after all. Maybe that's the way Peter was. But now he's plunged into fear and despair as he gets just, just a glimpse of how hideous his sin really is. What Peter realizes is, I cannot stand before one 
who is so full of glory, so holy. I'm totally unworthy. I see in Jesus' face the glory of God. I read an illustration once, and I think it was Jerry Bridges. I went back trying to find it. Uh, but um, he compared our awareness of, to sin of, uh, to being in a room where the light's controlled by a, a dimmer switch. So when we're first saved, the, the light's low. We only see some of our sin. But as time goes on, God works in the, and, and the light gets, gets lighter and brighter. And we grasp God and His holiness and His glory more and more. And we see our sin more and more and more. See, the better we know God's Word, the more clearly we see God in all His glory, and the more we see our sin. That's what's happening to Peter here. The light's just gotten very bright for Peter, and he realizes he's not worthy. And that's the common reaction throughout the Bible. We saw it with Isaiah already, and you can see it with Moses and with Job and Ezekiel and others. Friends, as long as we think God's lucky to have us on His side, we will never be used by God to carry out the Great Commission. No, we've got to constantly be astounded by His glory and the hideousness of our sin. We must be sure we see His glory because He's the one who dealt with our sin at the cross by His grace his gift of salvation. Because of that, we who are hideous sinners can now stand in the presence of a holy God when our faith and our trust is in Jesus and His death on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. J.C. Rowell reminds us that outside of Christ, our God is a consuming fire. But in Christ, we are reconciled to Him as a loving Father. But right now, Peter's not feeling so reconciled. And so Jesus speaks, and he gives Peter hope. Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And that's a promise to Peter. These are incredible, reassuring words of hope for Peter. Having grasped Jesus' glory, Peter thought he would have to give up the idea of ever being a follower of Jesus. He simply was not worthy. But now Jesus assures him he has a future as a follower of Jesus. He now has a new purpose. From now on, he's to literally catch men alive, or as the, the verb tense would indicate uh, here. From now on, you will be constantly catching men alive. You'll be catching people alive for the king. And so the focus of Peter's life changes completely here. And there's no reason to fear. Jesus will be at work in Peter and bring about the transformation necessary as he follows Jesus. So Peter awake, Jesus awakens Peter with hope and with a mission, which is our mission. Peter does not have to be afraid as his life takes a new turn. Jesus also takes away a fear that, that, that Peter may have, a fear that any of us might have, especially if, if we sense God's calling us to full-time service, full-time cross-cultural ministry. The fear is, how will our families be provided for? How does he do that? Well, with all these fish. 
By selling all these fish, Peter and James and John will, uh, and will make money, enough money, to support their family's needs. It's a valuable lesson for us. For example, when, when God calls us to give 10% of our money or He calls us to make a faith promise, we wonder, where is it going to come from? Here's assurance of hope that God will provide. God will. So what about us? Now, God's the provider of this meal today. It's a meal that points to His glory, to our sin, to His actions to redeem us from our sin and make us His own, and our need to proclaim it. Jesus Himself invites all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and members of good standing of an evangelical church uh, to come to this table. Now, if you're here and, and not yet a believer, when we come to the table, we urge you to stay in your seat. There's some suggested guidelines there in the bulletin. I mean, we're glad you're here. Please talk to us. Ask questions after the service. Likewise, children have not even examined by the session should, should not partake. But if you're wanting to, tell your parents, tell me, I'm having a class beginning next month. Now, for those of you watching online, uh, we're sorry that you cannot be here with us today. Um, but we understand the Lord's Supper to be something that we do together corporately as the body of Christ, uh, that, that we value the unity that it displays before the watching world. Um, and unfortunately, this is one part of the service we cannot replicate online. Uh, and we long for the day, and we hope it's soon, uh, when we can all be together uh, again, take the bread and the cup together. What I urge you to do today is use this time to, to see God's glory, uh, to meditate on Christ's work on the cross for you, to confess your sins to Him, to, uh, to ask Him to renew your zeal for holiness and for the Great Commission. And that's really what we'll be doing here as we come to the table. Examine ourselves to see if we recognize the body of Christ. Do we see Jesus' glory? And so see our sin and hate our sin all the more, and desire to turn from it. You see, if we, if, if we see Jesus' glory and we still think our sin is, is no big deal, then I'd urge you, do not take. Do not take. But if we see our sin all the more clearly, in more light, and we want to turn from it, we hate it, and, and we want strength to turn from it, then by all means, come to this table. Eat and drink. And as we see His glory, may each of us be filled with the desire and determination for the nations to see the glory as we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So let's now each take a moment and examine our hearts before a holy God. Father, your word assures, that if we, assures us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What grace, what mercy, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed from us. They've been cast into the depth of the sea. So Father, assure us of that. Remind us of that. 
as we come to this table, we pray. Strengthen us, Lord, to know the certainty of that, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.